the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, alongside Ian Simpkins. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, online at 1160hope.com, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And now you can text us, 68683. Type in CG and your message. Tell us whatever it is uh, you want to tell us. Not whatever. Whatever. I'm I'm in that mood today, man. Whatever (laughs) you want to tell us. I am not going to check that account. Uh, It's uh, it's hump day today. That's like my favorite commercial ever, right? That that hump day commercial. I like that one. I think I'm just overly energetic today because there is this bright thing in the sky that is actually emanating warmth today. Tell me, tell me more. <laughs> I know. I'm interested. It was last year, <laughs> like mid-September. <laughs> you know what? When you put it that way, it actually makes sense that you're as amped oh, as you are. Man. It's ah, it's beautiful out today. Look, my car said it was 60. Come driving in. There's something like there is, is something when all of a sudden you're warm that is just, <laughs> it is so encouraging. People, he's literally bouncing in his chair right now if you're uh, curious of Brian's literally, general posture. Last time it was warm around here, you had one child. <laughs> That's a good point. Touche. I've never had two kids in warm weather. Your, t- <laughs> <laughs> Your child has never experienced warmth really weather-wise. Ne- really weather-wise. Ne- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not emotional warmth. Right. You, you, you beat me to it. <laughs> Oh, no. So I do. I'm enjoying. We got, uh, you know, it looks like this warm weather is going to hold for a while. It's a good week back from vacation. And you know what? It's good to come back from vacation. This is the last time I'm going to talk about vacation. But <laughs> I doubt it. It's good to come back from vacation and, like, enjoy your life. Be like, oh, I like being back. I like being a pastor. I like doing the radio. Like, totally. I like the people around me. I always feel badly. I like the people around me. <laughs> I always feel badly for the people who are, like, dr- like just dreading. Like, oh, I just can't handle this again. So, oh, so your reentry has been okay? It has been. It has been. You seem chipper. A couple good shows, you know. (laughs) Both jobs were waiting for me when I got back. That's right. True story. I'm excited again. Well, we're glad you're joining us today. Uh, One of the goals of this show, um, besides talking about news of the day or helping you get to know uh, ministries or other churches or whatever, one of the goals is that Ian and I are both pastors. I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. Ian's at Community Christian Church in Naperville. And... uh, as pastors, we want to uh, just kind of share our hearts, and we want to help you understand how to navigate your weeks and your days kind of with uh, with the lens of the gospel. How do we live out our faith on a day-to-day basis? And sometimes it's things we read. Sometimes it's things we're thinking about. And Ian, I was noticing, I follow you on every, on every uh, social media platform. I'm so sorry. Every <laughs> social media My platform. My apologies. And interestingly, on multiple times since our la- in the last 24 hours, you've posted on gratitude. Yeah. 
And last time I saw it I'm on my way in, I was like, I, just, I, I like what you were writing, but I'm more like wanting to get at your heart. Like, what has drawn you to want to post in the last 24 hours a couple times about gratitude? Was it coincidental or was it something on your mind? Uh, I'm just curious, where's this gratitude coming from? You know, typically uh, I'm inclined to write about stuff that I'm doing a terrible job of. <laughs> That's yes. sort of how my brain works. It's sort of. That's I mean, good. that happens a lot in preaching, too, where I feel the need to pause and say, hey, this thing we're talking about right now, I'm terrible at this. It yeah. very rarely is, I'm nailing in this area. I want to invite you all to come with me on this journey. It's usually like, wow, I've done a really bad job of of being grateful, of articulating gratefulness. Mm. In fact, uh, the opposite has been true. I'll, like, I'll linger on negative aspects of the day or yeah. the week. And uh, I mean, I, I'd mean, i like to make the excuse that just how I'm wired. I don't even think that's true. I was going to say, I don't feel like that's how you, I haven't known you for that long. But right. You don't strike me as a negative person. That's or... the other part. I don't, I mean, I, I definitely can be okay. for sure. Um, <laughs> but it often comes across, you know, as, as sarcasm or snarkiness. And I, I was reading, I actually was listening to a, a TED talk and then read some other stuff last night um, before bed just about, the brain science of gratitude. So, you know, they're not in any way, quote unquote, Christian articles, but just this overwhelming data around the, just the physiological importance of gratitude, even, even in ways as simple as start your day, writing down three things you're grateful for. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be some big fancy pants, get into your gratitude chamber and then drink your gratitude smoothie (laughs) that you purchased. You know what I mean? Like start off the day writing about gratitude. And one of the articles I was reading about was saying so often we treat gratitude like it's complacency Mm. that, People who are grateful aren't like motivated to make a difference because oh they're just too busy being grateful. Interesting. And one of the things that I made me think of, I'm like, man, I think when I'm most grateful for the people in particular in my life, I'm more motivated to work toward their betterment as well. Like it is gratitude isn't demotivating; it's actually more motivating. Like, oh man, I'm really grateful for my wife and my kids. I want to I want to work extra hard to be there for them, to be fully present when I'm at home, and to work hard to provide them the things that they, you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. a very, it was odd that, that juxtaposition for me. So one of the things that I wrote was don't play your song first and then tune your instrument after start your day with gratitude, get your head and heart tuned and watch your life begin to feel more like a composition than a competition. Wow. And uh, for me, it's like so often if I'm, if I'm, if my head's on straight, I'll try to end the day with gratitude. Yeah. And I'm like, but why wouldn't it, it would make sense then? I think Paul even alludes to this, like, man, think on these things. Yeah. To start your day with that, I'm realizing actually has tremendous effect on the trajectory of my day. Now, I'm not saying it's, you know, just dream your ideal universe into existence. <laughs> I'm not going that far. But yeah. I have noticed a, a genuine difference in my heart, mind, and soul when I just take five seconds to say, man, I'm, I'm grateful that I had a house to wake up in and all, a car to drive me to work. Yeah. Like, this seems silly, but it, it actually makes a big difference. Oh, that's good. And I doubt that – one reason I wanted to talk about this is because I doubt that you and I are the only people that struggle with gratitude. Yeah. So what, why do you think that so many of us – why is gratitude a difficult thing? Like it seems natural that we should be able to get up and be like, oh, I have a house above me. I'm thankful for that. I have a wife that loves me. I have a, but I'm like you. I, I don't ever really – it's not that I'm not thankful, but right, I right, rarely right. linger on the things that I have to be thankful for. Yep. And I'm curious why – you know. Why is that? I, okay, so a couple of thoughts. The uh, the great Dallas Willard said that fami- familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Mm. It's like the awful wallpaper or that terrible couch at first blush is like, that's gross. But then yeah. when you live with it for 10 years, it's just, oh, that's just that couch or that wallpaper. Sometimes the stuff 
that we're least aware of is the stuff that's most constant, like family mm-hmm. or friends or a house. Yep. We, it's easy to, to miss that. Uh, I also, one of the other things I read is that our brain is five times more likely to come up with a criticism than a compliment. We're wow. hardwired that way. The example they gave is that for beautiful things, for gratitude, for thankfulness, our brains are like Teflon, but for negativity, our brains are like Velcro. And for every like negative thought to even counteract that, neurologically speaking, takes five positive things to like wow. linger on, to dare I say meditate on, to like undo the effect of the of the negativity. In fact, there's a, a great poet and writer named William Arthur Ward, and he, he wrote, uh, gratitude can transform common days into Thanksgivings, turn routine jobs into joy, and change ordinary opportunities into blessings. Mm. And I think gratitude is this way of elevating an awareness, a, a, a sight, if you will, of the common stuff around us, which is a lot of what the show is about. Absolutely. How do we see with better gospel lenses? Man, every everything this side of eternity is a gift, mm. and I often don't live that way, which leads to sometimes, for me at least, this downward spiral of, of negativity. Because yeah. I think that's the easiest. I think we're. I think that's what we see in the news. Yeah. It tends to be what our social media is filled up with. So it would make sense that we would struggle to find moments of gratitude because yeah. everything else in our world kind of points otherwise. So uh, it, if it's it's a little tiny revolutionary thing, I think, to uh, to start your day with gratitude. That's good. And I wanted to start the show with that because I was reading it. I was both encouraged and challenged just by what you wrote. Like, okay. Thanks, man. You know, Scripture says be thankful. <laughs> and, yeah, right. Num- uh, numerous times. Yeah, and it's it's a difficult thing. So uh, we'd love to interact with you, not just on our, our uh, Facebook page, the Common Good Radio Show, but... Feel free to go to our personal web pages, our Facebook web pages. Look at me. I'm so old. I'm so uh, old. You can find me at dot angelfire <laughs> dot geocities.com. If you could go to our personal Facebook pages, Brian Fromm or Ian Simkins, uh, we'd love to have you there as well. We're off and running here. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You could also text us at 68683. That's 68683. And in the message area, type in CG, followed by your comment or your question uh, or your observation, uh, whatever it is you might have for us. And Ian, uh, we like to tell people that we're both pastors. And so things about churches kind of intrigue us sometimes. Uh, I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. You're at Community Christian Church in Naperville. And... Uh, one of the things that really gets us is the whole concept of the prosperity gospel. It's just one of the. What do you mean by gets us? Makes us angry. Okay, just want, just wanted to be clear. Like, oh man, the prosperity gospel it gets, gets me us. right oh. here. Just wanted to be clear. It's a valid point. Must use better words on that one. One of the things that gets me. Uh, and so there was just this crazy story on Fox News that I wanted to highlight because it's kind of a continuation of a story that we did before. We'll post the story itself on Facebook and would love some of your reactions to this. But you might remember a story from Relentless Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, it was the story of John Gray, Pastor John Gray and his wife, and the uproar that came around the fact that he purchased a $200,000 Lamborghini for his life, uh, his wife was living in a $1.8 million home. uh, And basically at the core was this feeling that this church is very much preaching the prosperity gospel in which uh, the the concept of the prosperity gospel is the greater your faith, the more money God's going to give you is essentially it. It's not always money, but the dumbed down version of it is essentially that. (laughs) And so 
we talked about that a couple weeks ago when it came out. Well, one of the original pastors of that church is a woman by the name of Hope Carpenter, and she was back there speaking. And if you see the video, she is speaking with Pastor Gray and his wife behind her. So she's mm-hmm. just kind of going off. And she spoke of the importance of faith before expression gratitude to the two pastors, John and Avantar Gray. But she then turned her attention to the media, to the Greenville News. And she wrote this. First, she said to Gray, I love you. I believe in you. I'm praying for you. And then she said this. I don't know why I just laughed because it's kind of a dark thing. She says, I cut people. I got a knife right in that pocketbook. So Greenville News, come on. We done, we've gone through this. I'm still here, and guess who else is still going to be here? So she basically took them on because they questioned the money of of the pastors and that the church was spending. So sometimes you and I just have to highlight kind of the ugly stuff of churches out there. We're going to talk later in the day. Uh, In fact, in our next segment to Greg Surratt, who's also a pastor in South Carolina, whose church is going through one of the most encouraging things I've ever heard. So we're going to start with the discouraging (laughs) and then move into the encouraging. Aren't we just talking about gratitude? Isn't that? (laughs) We are all over the place today. That's a good point. What are your thoughts on this story? Well, okay. So just uh, as a caveat, right? The church is a megachurch. And uh, what I have known, and not even just in megachurches, have you ever been online and somebody from your church posted something online? that you were really discouraged by and they're like oh no that's one of us that's have, uh have i done that today <laughs> yeah i don't know how frequent that is for you but i certainly have had frequent, experience. put it that way right we're yes. like oh shoot i thought yeah. man and they don't usually like you know they're not usually on the news they're not making you know international coverage yep. but there is something to be said about like okay this is uh that is part of the messiness i guess of doing church the church hasn't like stamped an approval on this statement like we support her comment about cutting people yes. like it's there's nothing in that regard but it it does sort of reveal like you were alluding to some of the ugliness of like this level of like weird aggressive loyalty yes and like i'm trying to imagine you know like in our churches if somebody came after us and someone in our church stepped in and was like i'll cut you you're like oh don't <laughs> don't say that that's not that's not helpful uh, i i'm just yes. curious uh, as we as we have often said the thing behind the thing right like okay that's the part that made the headline it's it's a little clickbaity but what kind of culture exactly leads to that kind of rhetoric and are we okay with that yeah. i think it's probably pretty obvious that brian and i aren't but also wanting to not Ignore maybe planks in our own eye. Are there things that our cultures have perpetuated maybe more subtly that someone would say something? And when we like read on the, you know, on a Facebook feed, like, ah, yes, don't tag our church in that. What are you (laughs) doing? Like, oh man. And again, that's that's pretty rare to be honest. Like, I I feel like by and large, um, agreed. Like, people just get it and they're really like humble and honest, but like stuff like this makes me. Curious about the the steps before, yeah. like a really volatile, inflammatory press meeting. And what's weird for churches, uh, and you know, one thing I've always appreciated. I'm not just saying this because you're in the room, but um, one thing I've always appreciated about the church you're at, Community Christian Church, it's one of the mega churches in the western suburbs. You yeah. guys are big church, but I don't feel like you guys act like a the stereotypical mega church. Oh, so thanks, man. You might be like, you're wrong, man. But no, I feel <laughs> like I've interacted with your church well before I ever knew you. And, right. and I have good things to say, and I would encourage people in the area uh, to go to your church. Thanks, man. Um, and there are a lot of churches I wouldn't encourage people to go to. But there is... Like, like which ones? <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> That's next segment. <laughs> uh, but there are 
there are stereotypes about megachurches that are stereotypes for a reason. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's kind of almost this uh, cultish kind of protectionism mm-hmm. that says we must protect those who are the faces of of the organization. Mm. And, you know, not to step too far on a limb, but that's kind of what got Harvest in trouble or what got Willow in trouble a little bit. And so this one, it, that's what it feels like. It's like she came to like, I'm going to protect the pastor. And I was just reading an article today because you're right. We got to be careful about what are the planks in our own eye or whatever. Uh, I was just reading an article that was very convicting today that was like, hey, Pat, it was written to pastors because that's what we are. It was, hey, pastor, uh, you do remember that you're fallen and you're sinful uh-huh. and you need to remember that. And, totally. And you're not above your congregation and not that they, they can question you. And Absolutely. Obviously, there has to be systems. And this seems like an absurd um, kind of example of that not happening. But like you said, in all of our churches, if we're really honest with ourselves, these these kind of hierarchy of power can be really tempting and really dangerous. Well, and a thought that I just had that's going to kind of throw a wrench in the whole wheel of the thing I just said before. <laughs> <laughs> in a pretty famous or infamous exchange, when Jesus is being arrested— one of his very own Peter does what? Cuts he, people. He literally <laughs> he pulls out a blade, right? Like so it it can't just be, hey pastors, be more mindful of the culture you're developing. That's because then I would have to say, hey Jesus, look at the culture you created. Like sometimes <laughs> this dude, Peter, walked with yes. like witnessed things that no one has ever witnessed before and still felt like, yeah, cutting off this dude's ear right now is the best thing for me to do. Yes. So that's not an excuse for our, uh, you know, exploitative church systems that um, are all upside down and use people as pawns. Blah blah blah. I'm not excusing any of that. It it is strangely humbling to see even how screwed up the people that were closest to Jesus were, even to the bitter end. Yeah. Like still, st- I mean, talk about a, like abandoning your friend because a girl at a bonfire was asking if you knew him mm. is not a strong end to your narrative. <laughs> like, yeah. okay, so even in his proximity to Jesus didn't erase all of his stupidity and all of his cowardice and so much of that humanity was still there. Again, <laughs> I feel like I'm going back and forth. Not yeah. excusing what this woman's saying, but certainly saying we should pay attention, I think, to the systems that are leading to certain kinds of behavior yeah. and also recognizing like God is bigger than all that. And the other weird thing is, like, this is a kind of maybe it's not a new thing in our culture, but the like this like animosity towards the media. Yeah, that's is true. Just, that's true. Like, if what they're reporting is not true, tell people why it's why it's not true, right? As opposed to threatening them. I, it's a weird new dynamic now. <laughs> that's now true. That we're part of the media. <laughs> oh boy, are we fake news? Are we? Are we fake news? <laughs> right now, people are like yelling at their cars. Yes, yes, you are fake news. Stop asking. If you asking. think we're fake news, text us at six eight six eight three. Wow, good plug. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, as I said, coming up next, uh, we are going to have a fascinating discussion with a, uh, with a pastor out of South Carolina by the name of Greg Surratt. I will just tell you this. I'll tease it this way. God is doing unbelievably unexplainable things in this large church in the Charleston area. And so we called the pastor, the founding pastor, and said we would love to talk to you about it. Uh, And all week I've been super excited to talk to him. So can't wait. That's what's coming up next. We're going to talk to Pastor Greg Surratt. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm, and uh, as we've often told you, I'm a pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, and Ian is a pastor at Community Christian Church 
in Naperville. And so we love, one of the things we love on this show is to have other pastors on and to be able to talk about things that God is doing in, in, in other churches and in other regions. And with that in mind, uh, we are really excited to welcome Pastor Greg Surratt. Uh, Greg is the founding pastor of Seacoast Church uh, in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, in the Charleston area. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for uh, having me. Absolutely. Uh, it's an honor. Absolutely. Greg's church is one of the early adopters of the multi-site model. He's been recognized as innovative and influential. He's a president and founding board member also of the Association of Related Churches. Uh, but, Greg, the reason I wanted to have you on and Ian wanted to have you on is um, most people probably aren't aware of this, but I was reading a story uh, that God is just doing some unbelievable things at Seacoast. And as I was telling you off the air, you wrote a blog post about it that basically said, uh, we are loving this, but we don't have all the answers to it. Right. And uh, and I was just so encouraged by reading it. And now that we have a radio show, I said, I want to encourage other people with it. So <laughs> could, could you give us a little bit of kind of a Reader's Digest version of what's going on at Seacoast right now? Yeah, well, um, and thanks for having me on. I, Our pleasure. Uh, my, my family uh, lived in uh, Freeport uh, out in the West Sure. Uh, part of the state for about eight and a half years. Um, yeah, what happened was uh, every year we do a 21-day fast at the beginning of the year. Hmm. And uh, just before Christmas of this year, we found out that my daughter, who's 36, Jenny, has cancer. Hmm. And uh, so Josh, who is my son, who's now the lead pastor of the church, said, Dad, I want to have a, uh, you know, just a prayer and healing service, although we almost didn't want to call it a healing service because we didn't know if anybody would get healed as a pastor. Yeah, <laughs> totally. What else can we call this? Right. Yeah, let's just call it a prayer service. There you That's go. <laughs> and uh, so at the end, of, we, we always start on first Wednesday. And so fourth Wednesday of January, we're going to have a, a prayer and healing service. And, and uh, Josh said, hey, listen, uh, our guitar player, uh, Micah Nichols, uh, 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 was healed, uh, several months ago. Uh, and there was a guy from Nashville that prayed for him. And, uh, would you mind it if I asked him uh, if he'd come and maybe do 15 minutes of the service and, and help us with prayer? And I said, sure, you know, go ahead. And so, um, we, so the night before the service, uh, we sit down to eat with, uh, uh, Josh Silverberg and, and uh, Wes, his friend, who came down with him. And we said, uh, hey, guys, how do you usually do this, you know, when you when you do it at a church? And they said, well, interestingly enough, we've never we've never been at a church. <laughs> I, I mean, they go to a church. Yeah, yeah. But they had never they'd never spoken at a church. Wow. And Josh, Josh and I look at each other and go, oh, my goodness, <laughs> this, is, this, this is not good. OK. And uh, so anyway, um, so so we told him, we're, uh, you know, about 15 minutes and uh, we're going to uh, then we'll pray. We got several different pieces of the service. So anyway, so um, we had the service and we probably had, I don't know, a little over a thousand people there, maybe twelve hundred. And um, uh, so uh, we, we got to their part. We gave it to them and they began to um, share a little bit. <laughs> Josh Silverberg says. Uh, he said, you know, I, uh, he told story a little bit, his story and how people had been healed a little bit when he prayed for him. And he said, he just, he got saved. Uh, and he just spent the first four months, uh, reading the red letters and just feeling like 
people should be praying for people to get well. Mm. And uh, so he asked his wife, he said, uh, I want to go to like a healing school. And she said, well, we can't afford it. He's a writer in Nashville. We can't afford it. And uh, you'll figure it out. And so he told our, our, our church, he said, so I, so I learned to pray on YouTube. <laughs> I love and that. So, oh my goodness. And, um, you know, never done it in church, not, uh, what do I want to say? An accomplished speaker. Yeah. Uh, I won't say not effective because my wife leaned over to me and she said, you know, he's not real, you know, like, uh, a poly speaker, but she said, you know, I think millennials would like this. It's just raw and real. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so, so, um, uh, they, they said, you know, we've been praying for a couple of weeks about this and they had a little note card and they said, we want to re- read some things that we think God might be healing. So they just went through a whole list of stuff and, um, uh, had people stand up if they had those things. And, uh, uh, I don't know, you know, a few dozen stood up. And uh, then they prayed and had us pray and then said, does anybody have testimonies? And you guys, um, that was the beginning. That 15 minutes turned into a seven hour service. No kidding. With over, with over 200 people reporting healings and uh, wow. stuff like they went to their doctors and it was just unbelievable. Wow. Absolutely unbelievable. So so Brian alluded to this blog and I if you're listening I cannot encourage you enough to go to seacoast.org to read it and there's cuz there's way more there that we can get into right now and people asking you questions like are we Pentecostal now? Is this <laughs> is this a revival? Yeah. What about the people that yeah. aren't healed? And and you address these questions so beautifully because it's so honest and there's so much humility in your responses. Like I've shared this with probably a dozen people myself just because I think you navigate this incredibly well. But the the last question that you address in it, and I, I want to ask you that now, is wh- where do we go from here, right? Like a 15-minute testimony time to a seven-hour service. No one was expecting this. Like where where is your head and heart right now, and how do you, how do you wrestle with the question, okay, where where do we go yeah. from here? Well, yeah. it's And what we did is uh, after that first service, we knew several people that were that were healed. I mean, there were amazing things, guys, absolutely amazing things. And so we didn't know what to make of it. And we would call people. In fact, we still do. We still get reports. This didn't just stop at that service. It's still going on. In fact, we had a second service that um, uh, first Wednesday a month ago that went eight hours. Uh, Just unreal. I mean, unbelievable. But and we've got a first Wednesday tonight, but uh, anyway, uh, get ready so, for 10 hours. So we, yeah, no, I hope not. Let's keep it within an hour and a half, you know, but uh, the, uh, we, we call people and we say, are you still healed? Mm. Are you still, I had a girl I prayed for um, a week ago on Sunday uh, that uh, autoimmune disease mm. and, and just pain everywhere. And, when I prayed for her, I had two thoughts. One was absolute compassion. I cannot believe, you know, uh, when Jesus would look at a crowd with compassion, I, I kind of get it now. Mm. And, uh, uh, and and then my second thing is, oh, my goodness, I don't think I can do this. You know, I, this, this, this is big time stuff. But anyway, long and short of it, uh, next day she uh, uh, texted me through Facebook and said, uh, gave me the report that she's healed. And wow. so I would text her every two days and say, are you still here? Are you still? And, <laughs> wow. and we're doing that. 
over and over and over again. But yeah, what are we going to do? We don't know. We know that um, that that uh, you know revivals, outbreaks of the Holy Spirit are awesome things. But we also know that oftentimes it leaves the church, uh, the local church, devastated. I mean, if you go and look at various places where they had revival, uh, sometimes you can't even find the local church that was a part of that. Yeah. And uh, that may be the, the design of God. I, I really don't think so. And so we decided, first of all, we're not going to do it every night. We're not going to, you know, um, just just go after it nonstop. And, uh, and we're not going to make a big big deal out of it. We, we don't know. We, mm. we, we do know that God is up to something, and uh, we want to just shepherd that as the, the best we possibly can. That's great. Well, Greg, we wish we had a lot longer to talk about this because it is just fascinating as pastors, but also just people who long to see God's power at work in this way. But uh, you can read more about the church, but also this blog that we're talking about and some stories at seacoast.org. That's seacoast.org. Pastor Greg Surratt, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Really appreciate it, brother. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Uh-huh. Man, that's encouraging, huh? That is good oh, my stuff. goodness. Well, uh, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. Man, Greg Surratt, that was crazy. What a guy, man. That is just crazy. I could have talked to him for a while. Hopefully we'll get to talk to him again. Uh, And we came across a cool article on businessinsider.com, and and the the title, I believe you put this one out there, is just pretty intriguing. What 11 entrepreneurs and executives would tell their 24-year-old selves. That's a compelling article. If they're looking back, what do they wish they knew back then? So it says, in hindsight, life lessons aren't obvious. Fortunately, you can glean wisdom from these 12 top entrepreneurs and members of the the oracles on your path to success. So. Uh, why don't you hit us with number one? All right, so number one is uh, be ready to run a marathon. Uh, this is Gary Vanerchuk. He says, I'd tell my 24-year-old self, look, you've chosen long, uh, long-term marathon running, so wear a marathon outfit, not a sprinter's outfit. Be patient and accumulate experiences. You're 20% into a 100-year life. You haven't even started. Then I'd pat myself on the back and say, you're on the right path. Mm. Number two, think global. Uh, this is Kevin Harrington, the guy from the Shark Tank. I think that's Mr. Wonderful, if you ever watched yeah, the Shark right, Tank. Yeah, right, right. Uh, he says, at 24, I was a successful entrepreneur running a driveway ceiling business, but I couldn't scale it. Once I got on TV and infomercials, I was able to exp- expand globally. These days, you can utilize Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, influencing millions of people across the globe with mass efficiency. That's good. Okay, number three comes from uh, best-selling author Grant Cardone. Uh, number three is Commit. I lost the first five jobs I ever had and deserved it. At age 24, <laughs> I was the black sheep of my family, involved in drugs, and flat broke. I didn't even like myself. Talking to that kid now, I'd say, get committed to success. You can do anything you want, but first, you have to commit. Every true commitment involves time and money. That's good. Number four comes from Steve Griggs. He's the founder and CEO of Steve Griggs Design, which is New York City's premier landscape designer transforming backyards and rooftops into private getaways. He says this, pay the price today. He says, I must steal a quote from my good friend, Grant Cardone, who you just did. Yep. Pay the price today so you can pay any price tomorrow. Oh, that's good. Put the time and effort into things the first time and stop wasting weekends on nonsense. He said, I'd also remind myself, you're going to get 
Uh, you're going to get kicked in the real world. When it happens, remember, it's not how hard you get hit. It's the ability to get back up. That's good. Number five is Know Thyself. Michael Johnson, the Mojo Master, speaker and mindset coach for professional athletes and elite entrepreneurs. At age 24, I tried so hard to do the right thing that I let the opinions of others drive my decisions. Man, we've all been there. Mm. If you're unclear about who you are, you'll never excel. To get clarity, I would have asked myself, uh, what would you love to do if money were no option? What challenges would you enjoy tackling? What do you already love doing that you could get paid for? What would you love to dedicate your life to doing? This is summed up by the Greek aphorism, uh, know thyself. If you're unclear about who you are and what you want, you may achieve monster goals but feel completely unfulfilled. Hmm, next one, Sean Rawls, lifelong entrepreneur. It says founder and CEO of Rawls Consulting. He says this, your past belongs on the shelf, not in your backpack. Good. He says there's a difference between living in the past and learning from it. Don't dwell on your setbacks or your successes. Both are fleeting. Keep looking for the next peak of your climb and, quote, pack smart. That means not carrying baggage, overthinking things, or beating yourself up over mistakes. Bring only what you need for the long haul. Your future potential is infinite, and your best years are ahead. I'm encouraged by these. Yeah, these no good. kidding, these man. Good. Number seven, maintain seven standards. This is Peter Hernandez, president of Brokerage at Douglas Aylman, co-founder of Telus Properties. He says, uh, one, self-discipline is the road to freedom. Its benefits compound over time. Two, start your company now. The world steps aside for those who know where they're going. Be daring. Take the risk that you might fail. Three, think bigger, even if you already think big. Otherwise, you cut yourself way too short. Four, don't take it personally. It's not about you. Take me out of everything, and the quality of your life will improve dramatically. Five, be authentic. Quit trying to win people over. Focus on those who love you. Six, Stay relaxed and solution-centered, no matter how bad it seems. And seven, let go of what you aren't good at and trust people to do what they do best. I feel like that's the overachiever guy right there, right? Yeah, this guy, he, he, he puts seven into one. Everybody's doing one, and he says, here's my seven standards. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's true. The rest of them are, like, shaking their head at him. Come on, man. <laughs> I didn't know we could do that. Number eight, enjoy the journey without regret. This is from John Hanna, author of The Way of the Wealthy and CEO of Fairchild Group. He says, I once thought money was the most reliable measure of success. Three decades later, I realized that focusing exclusively on wealth is an empty goal. That sounds biblical. <laughs> As you hit one financial milestone, then another, you quickly realize there's a never-ending string of stones. Instead, I advise my younger self, focus on enjoying the journey. Find delight in the things you learn, the places you go, and the people you meet. Love the friends you make. Never neglect your family. Find the balance between contentment and ambition and finally meticulously improve the man or woman you'll be remembered as. Wealth comes if you manage and respect money. True success means never regretting who you've become. Oh, that's good, man. That really is. Number nine, be patiently impatient. This is Danny Morell, author of The Resilience Roadmap and founder of Empire University. It says a key success ingredient is the burning desire to make your vision a reality. Embrace that impatience. Let it drive your day-to-day -day activities with intention. Demand the most of yourself and those around you. At the same time, there's a dichotomy to this impatience. Actualizing your dream takes time. Success is a journey, so enjoy it and appreciate it. When you learn to be patient with your impatience, every downfall, every failure and victory becomes part of a greater lesson in destiny. Number 10 from Ken Leibovic, president of North Shore Holdings. Uh, he says, stay open-minded. Even if you think you know the answer, you can always benefit from hearing different perspectives. Other people's experiences and opinions can often add a lot of value. Even if you don't agree with, our, with their opinion, respectfully listen to what they have to say. 
With some hard work, open-mindedness, and respect, most things you want in life fall into place. Wow. I maybe push back on that one a little bit, but sure. Uh, last one <laughs> is from Craig Hanley, co-founder and CEO of Listen Trust. He says, go for it. At 24, I already had two kids. Wow. So I would have told my 21-year-old self, go for it. Whatever crazy dreams you might have, pursue them. When you have few possessions and few expenses, explore the world. Find your passions and pursue them. At 36, I got handed a record contract and a tour schedule, which was my dream, but I couldn't commit because life had too many complications. If I had done it earlier, uh, I might have been a pop star instead of a CEO. <laughs> which either way, and again, just to be clear, like this isn't, you know, quote unquote Christian article, but no, certainly good. like good stuff. I think it's easy for us to get kind of buried in the day to day and to miss um, kind of the long term stuff that maybe God is leading us towards. Like there's a, mm-hmm. there's a number of these that I think certainly are devoid of some some gospel narrative. Agreed. Agreed. But the idea of like, man, yeah, go for it. Like think globally, c- commit, like sacrifice today right. for benefit later. Your past belongs on the shelf, knowing thyself. These, these are things, man, I think all, all of us can benefit from. The whole be ready, number one right there, the be ready to run a marathon. I struggle with that one. Really? I do. Like I'm the type, I'll start something and if I don't see results right away, it's like, nope, next thing, I'm moving on. And like so much of life is just sticking to it and yeah. just going the grind and going and long obedience in the same direction, man. Uh, there it there is. There you go. And so much of it is that, that you end up being like, uh, I, I can, I can get myself in trouble by kind of going from one thing and going, well, that wasn't successful to the next one. Maybe it would have been successful a year down the road, two years down the road, whatever. which is interesting. Cause it's not how we treat the gym, right? We don't go to the no. gym twice. and like, why am I ripped yet? And you're like, Oh, cause it's going to take time, right? You don't put a seed in the ground and say, where's the crop? Yeah. Like we, we know those things take time, but I think it's easier for, for us to miss that when it comes to like our life. What is this gym thing you speak of? <laughs> <laughs> you're so unfamiliar with the gym. You call it James. Yeah. <laughs> but Bell. <laughs> First hour down here on a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. We're excited that you've chosen to join us on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Hope you're enjoying the sun, the warmth, uh, and that your day is going well. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can uh, find our podcast wherever it is you find podcasts or online at 1160hope.com. We would love it if you subscribe to the podcast, left a review, um, and wherever you get your podcast, you can do that. Also, you can text us now at 68683. That's 68683 in the message. Type in CG and then write us whatever um, message you have for us. You know, we never, we've yet to get a pun. No one has texted us a pun. I, I mean, give it time. You, I don't know. Give, you give ask it time. for it all the time. I mean, define all the time. Twice. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, at least I know your definition now. <laughs> Three times? I don't know. Come on, somebody. Let's see. Let's oh, get boy. a pun out there. Come, Come on, on, somebody. A joke. Uh, something. If, if it makes us laugh, we'll read it on the air. We'll do it. So. <laughs> oh, all right. Hey, in the first hour, we talked a little bit about the prosperity gospel when we were talking about uh, that church where I believe it was called Relentless Church in Greenville, South Carolina, and some of the craziness that was going on there. Um, and so keeping that theme going, uh, came across this article in Relevant Magazine. Uh, it says this, Benny Hinn's nephew is writing a scathing prosperity gospel tell-all. Huh. So Benny Hinn, you know, most people know him, but he is like the, uh, he's on the Mount Rushmore of the prosperity guy. Who would be on that Mount Rushmore? I don't want to play this game. (laughs) (laughs) I'm opting out. (laughs) You're fine. Just immediately, I am not playing this game. I'm out. No, thank you. (laughs) Just start naming people who are on the station. Uh -uh. Yeah. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Well, anyway, so this will be our last broadcast. Whoever, whoever is on that list, <laughs> Benny Hinn is going to be at the top of it. And so Benny Hinn's nephew, his name is, I believe, Costi, C-O-S-T-I. Uh, he always worked and followed around his famous prosperity gospel uncle around the country. But he's in a very different place now, and he's planning on writing a revealing tell-all about Benny Hinn's organization and what the younger Hinn calls, quote, the deceptive lies of the prosperity gospel. He wrote in a blog post, he's now a pastor of Mission Bible Church in California, uh, Kosti Hinn is, and he wrote in a blog post that he has been, quote, transformed by the true gospel. I began to study and seek out discipleship from mature Christians and that the Lord had put in my life. Jesus transformed my life, and I went from darkness to light. When God wants to change someone, he comes in like a tidal wave. Nothing can stop him. I experience that. And later on, he goes on to refer to the prosperity gospel um, as a false gospel, as a false religion. So um, what are your thoughts about Benny Hinn's <laughs> nephew writing? I like the last I'm ready to go here. He nephew writing a tell-all book about his uncle and the organization and the prosperity gospel as a whole. I mean, I, okay, my response may surprise you. Uh, on one hand, I've, we've done this long enough that I don't think it's going to surprise. I bet you I could predict it. You think so? I think you're bothered that he's writing a tell-all. Uh, yeah, I am. So yep. let me. I mean, yeah. So on one hand, I, I, I am perfectly fine going after prosperity gospel where I see it. Yep. Um, not in any sort of effort to go after other churches or dismantle other people's. Whatever, like that. Yep. I, it's, I don't think that's a good use of Christians' time yep. to be like, oh, we're going to throw arrows at everyone else that's screwing up. Like, hey, I think Jesus speaks pretty bluntly about that general posture. But yeah, and, and it, just the headline um, he's writing a scathing tell all. I'm like, <laughs> should pastors be in the business of writing scathing tell alls? I do. Question. I love what he said about the real gospel has transformed his life. I actually really love. That he's in ministry. I think that's yeah. profound to see maybe some of what he saw. I think of um, the son of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, Jay yep. Baker, mm-hmm. who's like tatted, you know, from, mm-hmm. from arm to toe. And he's uh, started churches and bars. And he was a real inspiration to me when I was you know, early in my ministry career. Mm-hmm. And uh, like the fact that some of these people, having been raised in the environments they did, that they that, that they wanted anything to do with ministry at all, to me is miraculous. Yes. That's I, I want to celebrate that. I do get a little squeamish, mm-hmm. uh, a little skeptical of stuff. And he's not calling it a scathing tell-all. So to be fair, some of that is clickbait, titleism, whatever. And I, you know, I want to, I want to give credit uh, or discredit where it's due. There you go. Yep, yep. But I don't know. Like when I think of like big C church, big K kingdom type impact stuff, 
do do we really think that scathing tell-alls is the best way forward, or is this a way to sell books? It's probably a way to sell books a little bit, but he is giving some of he's giving a, a lot of a it, lot sounds of it like. away. I appreciate that. I think he is probably cleansing his soul a little bit because he was a part of it, and he is wanting to protect other people from it. I did. I when we were reading it, I had uncomfortability with the same part you did. Like, really? A scathing tell, tell all about your <laughs> uncle? There could be family dynamics going on. You don't right. know what's behind the scene. And so I guess I want to jump away from the story itself. Jump. And there's people out there probably listening who they hear this phrase, prosperity gospel, and they probably either don't understand it or don't quite understand the danger of it. Hmm. So uh, maybe give a Reader's Digest version uh a, just kind of what is your understanding of the prosperity gospel? And then pastorally, what's the danger of it? Okay, man. Uh, so as best I can understand, the basic premise of the prosperity gospel, which, by the way, caveat, most prosperity gospel communicators are not calling it the prosperity gospel. Correct. So it's harder to decipher than, oh, just look for the words prosperity gospel on the website. Today the pro- I'm doing the prosperity right, gospel. Probably yes. not there, so you know, be mindful of that. Uh, typically... That um, God wants you to be financially wealthy, mm-hmm. um, for all of your relationships to be problem-free, and to be free, and free to be free from uh, physical pain of any kind. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I think those can be really great things, but when we equate uh, a gospel that in every circumstance stands for those three things, I you don't have to look much further than the person of Jesus right. to see where that falls apart, right? Jesus was born, what, to a... Wealthy family or a poor family? A poor family. <laughs> yes. Where his friends stood by his side in his darkest moment? No, they abandoned him. And he endured what I think we could all agree is horrific physical pain. So oh. it does make it a little difficult for me to say, you know, uh, particularly that first one, I guess, God wants you to be financially wealthy. I think that's a huge misreading yep. of words like blessed throughout the New Testament. We so often equate blessing with monetary wealth. However, that's not to say that I don't believe God hasn't equipped certain people to make tons of money, correct? To do it to the glory of Jesus, and I know plenty of those people personally who are making huge impact in the world mm-hmm. uh, through their generosity. But I think I think we glorify the dollar far too much, and often the uh, the the subtle the subtle feeling from someone who doesn't make that kind of money is that they don't have any impact to make that, that that God can't, could never use them, or that they're somehow doing something wrong in their own Christian faith. Otherwise, I'd be a billionaire, and I think that can lead to some really problematic places right if the prosperity gospel teaches that have more faith have more money then when you don't have much money or you are sick or well that also then speaks to your faith and you might be out there thinking well why do you guys talk about this often like what's the point and i would say this i read this article and i forget the exact number but i'm going to guess at it it was something like six of the biggest of the 10 biggest churches in our country um have been loosely identified as churches that basically preach the prosperity gospel and so this isn't like some fringe thing, but I think it is just yeah. a dangerous twisting of the gospel that for obvious reasons is very attractive. If you say, hey, hey, come follow Jesus and all your problems go away. When Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. And everybody who followed him in the gospels, their lives got worse uh, from an outside perspective, right? Like um, things got harder for them. And that's why it's so dangerous. And that's why we want you guys out there uh, we want with all of our hearts for you to follow Jesus. We just want you to be following what actually Jesus said and not what people have kind of put on top of the gospel that's not true. Well, and and again, to be totally clear, there is no church in existence that is 100% nailing it. Yeah. Like, is getting and interpreting all of Jesus' words correctly, 
has cornered the market in doctrinal and theological interpretation. Like right. we all look through a lens. We're all bringing our own baggage. Because the flip of that sometimes is a glorification of suffering, too. That's good. God doesn't ever want me to be happy because the prosperity is false, so I need mm-hmm. to – I will wallow in my – it's sort of like a renewed you know, ancient Gnostic dualism. that yes. like, oh, the flesh is bad, body is bad, and enjoyment and pleasure is bad, so I need to run from anything that even looks like that. That's not good either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that, yeah, t- your call to find a balance I think is really, really important. That's good. Which church, which of our churches do you think is closer to having cornered the market? <laughs> Let's, yeah, no that's comment. what we're going to do next segment. Yeah. Light them up. <laughs> Just a battle royale. <laughs> we want you all out there and ourselves included to, to increasingly understand the good news of the gospel and not the distortions of it. And like Ian said, it's a good point. We all distort it in certain ways. And so it requires some some evaluation and some self-reflection along the way. Well, hey, man, next we're going to get to talk to a guy by the name of Joshua Havens, uh, leader of a band called The Afters. Which what, many what kind of, of band from, is it? It's a rock band. You're gonna, <laughs> I mean, it's a rock band. Uh, he's from The Afters. So I'm very excited to talk to him about a show that is coming up in the Chicagoland this Friday. So coming up next on The Common Good, we're going to talk to Joshua Havens from The Afters. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm alongside Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. And as always, you can text us at 68683, put in CG before your message or your comment. Ian, one of the things I've really enjoyed, our our show is like three months old now almost. And uh, that's right. One thing I've enjoyed is kind of the cross section of people that I would have never interacted with. Right. That we get to talk to, whether it's authors or pastors or Right now, we're going to get to talk to a musician, a, a rock musician. Man, we got this going. So, uh, you're we, showing your age right now. I, I don't really know anyone says am. rock musician I anymore. I really That's... am. So, uh, <laughs> we've got Joshua Havens. Josh, sorry for that introduction there, but <laughs> we're really rock musician. Yep, yep. <laughs> I, I'm aging by the minute, my man. So, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it, man. Let me tell you about Josh. Josh well, is a member. Absolutely, Josh is a member. Uh, of the uh, Christian pop rock band called The Afters. And uh, The Afters are going to be doing a show. Uh, their Well Done Tour is coming to the Chicagoland area this Friday, April 5th at 7 p.m. They're going to be at the Q Bar in Glendale Heights, Illinois. Uh, and if you buy one ticket, you can bring a friend for free. And uh, so we're excited for you to come to the Chicago area. Josh, maybe tell us uh, if somebody were to give of their Friday night and come to that concert, what, what could they expect from your show? Well, our goal is to give everybody a night they won't forget. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we come together. It's such a cool night on this tour. And our, our goal is to fill people with hope and uh, to encourage everyone and to leave them uh, walking away with a big smile on their face. And that's what it's been like all throughout this tour. You know, it's a night of hope and uh, and healing and worship. And, and I love, what I love about this night in Chicago is uh, it's a great opportunity to invite somebody who might not ever come to a concert in a church or something. Uh, it's it's a venue that you can invite anybody to. So uh, you buy your ticket, you can bring a friend for free, mm-hmm. bring a family member for free. And uh, it's a great way to bring in people who might never come to a Christian concert otherwise. I love that. All right, so so you guys have been a band, it looks like, for almost 20 years, which is amazing. Um, I'm curious, yeah. like, particularly with some of the, like, the Lord Dangle stuff that's been in the news uh, with this, like, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian artist, I'm just a Christian in a band, or I, how do you guys walk that line yeah. between, 
uh, like music as a ministry, but also as creatives, uh, as artists. Um, how have you sort of threaded that needle over the course of two decades to, to kind of sure. pick what lane you're in and, and to utilize whatever it is that, that you're doing in that moment? You know, I think it's kind of inseparable because no matter what I'd be doing, I'd be doing it to the glory of God. You know, right. if, I was, mm. if I was a dentist, I'd be doing that as, as well as I could uh, to the glory of God. And, uh, you know, nobody wants me near their teeth. You know, I don't have <laughs> so I'm in a band and my faith is really important to me. And it comes out in the songs that I write. You know, my hope is just to encourage people because I know how hard this life is. And we all go through things that, that sometimes seem pretty impossible. And uh, there's, there's times in life when we can feel hopeless. And so through our songs and through our concerts, you know, we hope to just fill people with hope and, and leave them uh, knowing that their life is in the hands of the one who made it and, uh, and that they don't have to feel beat down by life, uh, but know there is a purpose for them. That's and awesome. so a lot of our music is about lifting people up and, and, and really trying to instill that hope. And again, the, the afters are going to be at the Q Bar in Glendale Heights this Friday at 7 p.m. You can find information about the show at gopromoters.com, gopromoters.com. You could also go to theafters.com. Uh, and reading your guys' bio, you guys are, you know, people probably remember you guys, but you guys have had a lot of success, uh, whether it be uh, running the themes track for MTV's 8th and Ocean. You also had a number one yeah. hit at the radio uh, with your song, Every Good Thing. I'm wondering, uh, you know, everybody, when they probably start a band, has visions of being big time. But you guys actually made it. You guys actually succeeded. What was that <laughs> like for you guys? Like, was that, did did that come with a lot of, uh, how did you stay humble through that? How did you uh, just kind sure. of process success? I'm curious about that. Well, first off, you know, I've got four kids and a wife at home. <laughs> so uh, no matter what shows we play or where we are in the world, when I come home, you know, it's always been walking in and changing diapers, mowing the lawn, you know, and, and that'll keep you humble real quick. But no, I mean, honestly, I just feel so grateful. Like every night that we play shows and people show up and we sing songs together, like I feel like the luckiest person on the planet because mm. since I was a kid, it was my dream to do music. And, you know, nobody thinks that you can actually do that with your life. And so, you know, one thing I want to encourage everybody on is whatever your dreams are, don't give up on them because the most outlandish and crazy impossible things mm. can happen. And uh, and we were so blessed to be able to do music uh, for our jobs, and and we go around the world now, all corners of the earth. We were in in places as far as the outback of Australia wow. and Norway and Portugal last year, and so we we go everywhere. And I remind my guys this all the time because even on the hardest days, when the bus is breaking down, when mm. we miss flights, when things aren't working out, when when when, uh, when when we're having a tough day, I remind my guys. Hey, we're living somebody's dream, and yeah, this is right. the best thing ever. And we're lucky to be here. So, I, honestly, every time I get out of bed and we get to do this, I just feel so grateful. And uh, and I want to encourage other people in that too to know, like you, uh, you can you can live for your dreams, and uh, those things can happen. It's never too late for that. That's awesome, man. I, well, it's one of the things that I know. I have a number of friends who are in touring bands, and like part of what Brian was saying, you know, you guys made it, man. You guys probably yeah. just get flown everywhere, and people <laughs> fan you with palm branches, and that's what making it looks like. And I know that that's not actually Ooh. the case. Like, what what might people be surprised to learn about, like band life or tour life? Like, just give us a little, if you'd be willing, a little peek behind the veil. Like, oh, here's here's actually what being on tour or professionally being in a band actually. It looks like you know i mean for the most part um i feel like i I, we do travel with our our friends which is really cool yeah um you know so i travel with my three best friends 
Mm. Uh, we've been friends for a long time. I think that's one of the cool things about our band's kind of unique is that we love hanging out even when we're not playing shows. That's and so amazing. That, that is really fun. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely not, like if you were to come backstage, you would say, well, this is boring. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's not a whole lot going on back there. Um, there's no palm branches and no grapes. Definitely not. <laughs> um, but we're just normal guys, you know, we're yeah. just totally normal guys. We love hanging out and making friends and, uh, and meeting people. Um, you know, and we, we get on the bus and sometimes you might walk on the bus and it's pretty stinky. Well, it's because there's 12 guys living on there and, um, and, uh, and no maids. So, there you go. <laughs> but, but, you know, again, again, I just feel, I feel lucky to do it and I'm just grateful for the support we've had over two decades. Like I, I can't say enough, Chuck, like how, how blown away I am that, that we've been able to do this as long as we have and that radio still plays our music and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep doing it as long as keep, people keep uh, listening to our music. So this might be a strange question, but I've always wondered, uh, guys, you know, you guys, you travel and you're doing music all the time. When you're at home and you're you're with your family and you go to church, uh, do you serve at your church on the worship team? Are they like always coming for you to yeah, come right. lead songs or do they kind of leave you alone? Yeah, you know, I do. I serve wherever I can. Um so years ago, when we started the band, we started touring. We got signed. Uh, actually, there was a band called Mercy Me. Oh, yeah. Uh, who was also from, from Texas, where we got our start. Uh, they heard us one night when we played a show together. And uh, years later, after they blew up, uh, they brought us to their record label. And we ended up signing with their record label. And they took us on tour. Um, and in those early days, we were so busy. Uh, that was about two years where we played over 200 shows a year. Wow. We were gone gone almost every weekend and I was never in my home church and I remember there was one weekend we were home and I went to my church and I realized nobody knows that I'm my kid's dad nobody knows I'm my wife's husband and it felt terrible mm. I remember that was a big wake-up call for me and I realized you know what God calls us to a lot of things in life yeah and the the first thing he calls us to is to love him and live this life for him then he calls us to be good fathers and husbands, you know, and, mm. and a good friend. And, and then, you know, our church community and our careers way down the list. And, you know, I think over and over, we, we see that if we're faithful in, in scripture, we see if we're faithful in the things that God has called us to first, he's going to bless the rest. And so I truly believe that. So we decided we're going to, to put all these other things first. We're going to put, you know, our faith and family and, and all those things first And our mm. career. We're going to trust if we're faithful in these other things, God is going to bless it. And, uh, and so we told our booking agent, we don't want to be out any more than this amount of days. We want to be home this many weekends out of the year. And uh, if it's beyond that, don't even tell us about it. Even mm. if it's the biggest show in the world, like we don't even want to know about it. <laughs> and let me tell you, God has blessed it so much. It's that's almost awesome. like when we were the hungriest for success and we would have done anything for it, that's when it came the hardest. Mm. And when we, we said, you know what, God, we want to be faithful to everything you call it to, to be good family, uh, family leaders to, to be, uh, faithful to you. That's when God blessed our career the most. And it's when we cared the least about it. So, you know, I think, I think uh, that's still important to us to say, if I have, if I'm home on a weekend, I'm leading worship at my church awesome. and, and just participating in the last day. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, this has been really fun for us again. Uh, if you want to go see the afters, their well done tour will be coming to the Chicago land this Friday, April the 5th at 7 PM at the Q bar in Glendale Heights. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you could go to gopromoters.com. That's gopromoters.com.
Ticketmaster.com. Advanced tickets are $16.50 or $20 at the door. You can do a VIP with a question and answer for $25, or this is the one I'd go for, man, a pizza party meet and greet. Uh, for $59. Uh, you guys are going to get some pizza. You better make sure it's good oh. Chicagoland pizza right oh, there. Yeah. I know it's controversial, but I'd love to know when people come, tell me your favorite pizza because I'm a big pizza fan. Personally, I love Giordano's, but yes. uh, I can't wait. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? There you go. Well, Joshua, uh, Joshua, we really appreciate it, and uh, we hope the rest of the tour and particularly the show this Friday goes well. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, Thanks so much for having me on. Look forward to seeing you guys there. Bring a friend. It's going to be a really special night. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. That's Joshua Havens from the band The Afters. Again, they'll be playing this Friday, April 5th at 7 p.m. at the Q Bar uh, in Glendale Heights. You can get ticket information at gopromoters.com. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can find old shows online at 1160hope.com or wherever it is that you find your podcast. You can always also text the show at 68683, type in CG, and then your comment. Well, Ian, we uh, before uh, we've had the chance to talk to Cindy Boston from Heartbeat International, and uh, we enjoyed that so much that we're going to have her on again. So, Cindy, welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's so great to be here. Um, appreciate your good work and uh, love your radio team. Oh, well, we, we are very grateful of that. Cindy's being very nice to me because they, uh, they were the sponsors of the Fernando Ortega concert that I missed while I was on vacation, and Ian was there. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little worried that she likes Ian more than me right now. Don't, but. don't be worried. It's absolutely true. <laughs> I'll, I'll take all the guesswork out of it. It's We're happening. best friends now. So. so a little background. Cindy is the vice president of Heartbeat International. Uh, she previously served on the organization's board of directors and chaired the board of the Missouri Alliance for Life for six years. So let's just start there, Cindy. Can you remind us and talk to us a little bit about what is the mission and what does Heartbeat International do? Sure. Um, I think we're all stirred up right now, aren't we? In the in the nation, I think we've seen some things that make us very uncomfortable. We just have seen the blatant reality of of um, people who don't cherish the value of life. Heartbeat is all about bringing value to life, and the way we do that is we reach as many women and men, expectant parents who are in the throes of a crisis moment, we reach as many of them as we can uh, possibly reach, and then we help rescue their unborn babies by bringing truth and hope, long-term support through our massive network of 2,600 pregnancy centers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're really changing the culture. We're, we're really um, redirecting um, the culture in those communities because when we cherish life, when we value unborn life, when we come alongside those who are in crisis around us, we are actually helping change our culture for the better. So Heartbeat's all about reaching, rescuing, and renewing communities. Um, and, and when we do that, we bring life um, into reach for young couples who have a pregnancy decision to make. That's fantastic. Okay, so I know that uh, a movie that's on a lot of people's minds right now for a number of different reasons is uh, this movie Unplanned. And it looks like last weekend was ranked fifth, raking in over $6 million. And my the thing that I'm hearing from other people 
some were really familiar with the, the narrative and the storyline, but I, I know just as many people who were like really surprised by how touched they were by the movie and they learned uh, information they didn't know beforehand. And I'm wondering if maybe someone's listening, they just saw that movie, their eyes have kind of been opened to a whole issue they didn't know anything about. Would you just speak a little bit to, to that person, maybe both in light, because the movie wasn't sponsored by Heartbeat International or anything, but certainly tackles a really, really important, heavy topic. And I think right now people are being stirred in some pretty uh, some pretty new ways. Would you just speak a little bit to maybe someone that saw that movie or is having these conversations for the first time? Like, wh- How would you encourage them? Well, I tell you, um, the movie Unplanned brought to light what is often in the shadows of darkness, and that is that abortion hurts women, that abortion is an unkind thing to women, it doesn't fix anything, and that um, abortion actually takes and robs a baby from our community and our families and our family trees. So abortion is bad for women, and abortion robs us of our precious children. In that movie, Abby Johnson, uh, the the actor described the terrible effects of chemical abortion. Sure, she took a chemical abortion process. So she took the first pill at the doctor's office or Planned Parenthood uh, at that moment, and then she actually took this, she went home and took the second pill later on, a few, uh, about 24 hours later, I think. What happens is Heartbeat International now has the ability to help reverse an abortion that has already started by chemical. RU486 is a terrible process for women who are considering termination of a pregnancy. They often take the first pill out of two pills and then have instant regret. Well, Heartbeat International has a brand new program that can help reverse, and it's safe and effective. It allows women to stop what was once a termination in process, and it allows them to rescue their life of the child 68% of the time. Wow. So Heartbeat, uh, Heartbeat's Abortion Pill Rescue Network is coming to the rescue of thousands of women in need who want to say yes to the life of the child at the very last moments of life. And uh, for those of you listening, one thing, one reason we wanted to have Cindy back <clears throat> is because uh, – you can make a tangible gift to Heartbeat International that will allow uh, for more babies to be saved, right? Like um, a lot of us who are Christ followers, we 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 pound the table and say we're vehemently pro-life, but we're going to give you a chance, quite frankly, to put your money where your mouth is. Uh, and so let me give you the specifics about that, and then, Cindy, if you could speak some more about that, that would be great. For a gift of $75, that's not $75 a month, that's just $75, uh, it helps Heartbeat International reach a woman who's already started a chemical abortion and wants to change her mind. So basically, your gift can save two lives. You can reach a woman and rescue a baby with a $75 gift by going to this website, hbi.life. That's hbi.life. And our goal today, um, a little bit ambitious, but our goal as a show is to raise $3,000 for Heartbeat uh, International. And maybe, Cindy, you could help people who are considering, wow, maybe I would do that. Um, is it as simple as to say their $75 is going to save a baby? Yes, and $75 will save a baby. Um, we had 200 women that called our line last week. Wow. Um, how exciting is that? These women are waiting 
for help. They're, they're leaving the abortion clinic and they're instantly Googling, how do I reverse my abortion? Mm. They're, they're home late at night by themselves and they're saying, I don't want to do the rest of this abortion process. I want to switch. I don't want to terminate my baby anymore. And they're finding us on the Internet. Those things cost money. And then we have a 24-7 helpline where we are answering that phone, doing triage, and then we're connecting them to a local pregnancy center or doctor that can provide the treatment plan to save the life of their child. It's safe and effective, and it allows women to have a last chance at choice. They have a final choice, and by $75, by giving $75, you can save the life, yes, of that woman, her heart, and the life of her child mm. can be saved. It's a remarkable deal when you think of what you're going to get return on investment helping a woman and saving the life of a child. We, and, and I said this at the show, for some people, $75 is, that's the right amount for them. But my guess is other people are listening and they could maybe do $75 a month. Like if, if we had three people commit to $75 a month for this next year, that we would hit our goal. Like that would right. be the, and, and just to kind of elevate some of what you're talking about, because we, we connected after the show and some, something that's so unique about what you do is what happens in the brain the moment a woman begins this process is she, she maybe realizes, oh, I didn't really know how much I didn't want to do this until after I had done it. And, and, and the information you shared with us says there are more than 7,000 women who will start a chemical abortion this week. Mm. Like that number was so much higher than I was anticipating. So whether it's a one-time yeah. gift of $75 or you can do something like $75 a month, I think – Man, what 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 a powerful opportunity! Not only just to reverse this uh, chemical decision, but like as you said, to come alongside these women and, and yes. care for these. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the long term stuff that you do to come alongside these women and, and, and care for them well? We know that the one thing that helps prevent abortion is another person. Pregnancy centers are throughout the United States. We have 1,500 affiliate pregnancy centers across the U.S., and they come alongside a woman. They provide that long-term care, long-term life coaching and mentoring. They provide parenting classes and adoption support. They provide goods things that they can tangibly take home with them, a car seat, a, a crib, baby items, maternity clothes, they provide that long-term support, that person to walk beside that young woman. No woman has to be alone. If we can get them to a pregnancy center, we know that most of those women will choose life. And we know that the women who, who decide to do abortion pill rescue through the abortion pill rescue network will choose life and they'll have the long-term support so these women don't have to walk this journey alone. The Christian community stands ready to, to help them and to be with them. So the $75 investment not only helps the woman at this moment, it creates the pathway to help her long-term through a local pregnancy center as well. Well, Cindy, thank you so much. Here's what we want to do, people. Go to hbi.life. That's hbi.life. For a $75 gift, you can reach a woman and rescue a baby. But I think Ian said it well. For some of you, $75 is nothing. And if we got just three people who would say, I'll do $75 a month, that's a child a month. Or if we get 40 people who do $75 one-time gift, the goal is to raise $3,000, not just for the sake of raising money, uh, but for the sake of saving babies. Well, Cindy, uh, thank you for all that you and Heartbeat International do. I know this won't be the last time we speak, but thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for helping us reach women and rescue babies. Absolutely. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. It's that time of the show where Ian and I just kind of found the weird stuff that was found on the internet. Do you think that that voice, that new voice that we have going on the open, you think that's Josh, our producer? I I did think that. I don't think so. <laughs> I do not. We can start making people believe that. Like, that's his actual voice. That's how Oh, I like that. Uh, as you know, it's our disclaimer. Our producers give us a couple funny stories from the internet. We haven't seen them. So when you hear them, we're reading them for the first time. So why don't you go first, my man? Why don't I go first, Brian? Uh, I'm ready Great for question. Here's got a photo out of Lithuania. Maybe a first for us. Weird flight. Passenger jet has only one passenger. <laughs> Leg room was not an issue here. A Lithuanian man had the weird experience of flying to Italy on a huge passenger jet as the only passenger. By the AP's count, the Boeing 737-800, I don't know how that works, a different model than the 737s of recent controversy, oh, that's good, had all of eight people aboard, two pilots, five crew members, <laughs> and passenger, I cannot say Go that name, it. Skirmantis. Stramatus. <laughs> the jet can hold 188 passengers. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, Stramatus says, of his flight from, oh my gosh, from Vilnius to Bergamo, Bergamo. <laughs> a travel agency had chartered the flight because it needed to bring a group of Lithuanians vacationing in Italy, blah, 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 blah. blah. Either way, the photo's hilarious. You should find it yourself. What kind of plane is it? Oh, it's a big, pretty white plane with red stripes and curtains in the window and wheels and it looks like a big Tylenol. I think we've done that one. <laughs> I think we've had that soundbite before. <laughs> Nevada, 13-year-old does yard work, trades Xbox for a car for a single mom. I got the nice one today. This uh, nice. Way to go. Uh, <laughs> Crystal Preston says it's been rough. On top of being a single mom to three kids, she's also had no vehicle to drive them around. I walked everywhere I went. I was unable to get a ride. Preston says her 13-year-old son, William, had been mowing lawns and doing yard work around the community for years to earn his own money. Money. One day he saw a YouTube video where people get their mom's cars to surprise them and decided that's what he was going to oh, do. No kidding. Uh, he saw a post from someone selling a 1990 Chevrolet Metro. That's when he asked the mom if she would trade her car for his Xbox. She said yes. And at the end of the ride, William presented his mother with her new car. Wow. Oh. Actually, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michigan, my home state, 12-year-old boy fills potholes himself to help his neighbors. Nice stuff today. Oh, man. Wow. Michigan roads are bad. Amen. But you already know that. They're so bad, the new governor's platform was based on fixing them. Her plan could be pricey, but she's also getting a bit of help from a 12-year-old in West Michigan. Monty Scott, 12, started filling potholes on a street near his home in Muskegon Heights last week, according to WZZM. He filled up a trash can with dirt which he dug up from his backyard and then unloaded it into the potholes himself to try and even out the road. That's awesome. This is what he says. I didn't want people messing up their cars like my mom did, Monty told WZZM. If somebody were to drive down the street and hit a pothole and then they would have to pay like $600, $700 to fix their car, they would be mad. I love this kid. Well, there's so many holes in First Avenue, we really didn't think anyone would notice. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Uh, New York. Yankees call up Tyler Yankees call up Tyler Wade takes two hour Uber from Scranton to the Bronx. Wow. When the New York Yankees put third baseman Miguel Andujar on the injured list shortly before Monday's game, his replacement needed to get to Yankee Stadium in a hurry. So shortstop Tyler Wade used Uber. 
Wade took an Uber from Pennsylvania, where the AAA affiliate is in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, and arrived in the Bronx in the seventh, seventh inning. The trip was more than 100 miles and took two and a half hours. I didn't want to miss the game because I knew it was urgent. We had a short bench, so I just tried to get here as soon as I can. An expensive Uber trip was the least, though, of New York's concerns, as many more players ended up on the disabled list. I pity those poor suckers on the freeway. Gas break, hog. Gas break, hog. Hog, hog, punch. Gas, gas, gas. I feel like Simpsons has made the biggest showing There's in the sound no effects doubt. of this segment. No doubt. All right, last but not least, Virginia. Uh, she thought her dog died in a fire. Two days later, quote, we got him. Holy cow. Keith is kind of sensitive today, I think. Yeah, these are all yeah. really touching. Yeah. Kayla Blake thought she'd lost Rebel forever, her... Uh, per WHSV, the fifth-year psych major at James Madison University, got a call Thursday morning informing her that her apartment building in Harrisburg, Virginia, was on fire. She says she became hysterical as Rebel the dog she'd adopted three years ago was inside her third-floor apartment. She rushed home. When she got there, she got the bad news. Two days later, though, when Blake went back to check out what was left, she heard a shocking sound, barking coming from the vicinity of her apartment. Blake immediately called the cops and the fire department and officials, clambered through all the debris to her apartment, and they walked up. And we heard one of the firefighters yell, we got him. And he looked out the window and gave me a thumbs up. Are you crying? Am I crying? No, I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> Again, Keith, extra sensitive today. I know, no kidding. Good job, Keith. I like this version of Keith. It must be the weather. It must, it's I'm sure it is. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. Well, we hope you have a great west, rest of your Wednesday. Glad that you spent some time with us. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.